On this episode of Three Beers, Two Guys, One Movie Podcast, we start off by giving a small tribute to Mr. Jerry Stiller, then we discuss our marquee picks for our favorite on-screen duos, then we get into our featured movie, War Dogs, which stars Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, and finally we play a game of Spin the Wheel again, so let's go! entertaining movie review show uh i'm matthew scott and always i'm joined by mr rod budman our movie expert and connoisseur and also mr preston barnes another movie expert and connoisseur uh how you guys doing tonight you guys ready to uh review war dogs on hbo <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> budman is ready I know, we started out with a little dead noise, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll get a lot more rough and rowdy, a lot more energetic as we go on. Uh, before we start reviewing more dogs, and before we get to our customary uh, marquee picks, and then obviously into other stuff too, we're going to start off by honoring Mr. Jerry Stiller, a comedic legend who died, I think, Monday. I think Monday morning he was announced that he was dead. Or was it Monday Monday morning? Tonight's Wednesday. I think it was Monday morning. Um, anyways, we'll just... Uh, just briefly talk about some of our favorite scenes i mean i think we're all big seinfeld fans i think we're all big zoolander fans i love him and seinfeld some seinfeld and zoolander and also his sort of brief cameo in heavyweights because i personally love that movie so so much uh any of you guys have something that you want to add just a brief little thing before we get started just to honor his his comedic talents um yeah obviously his role as as george's father in seinfeld is is uh it's hard to top that you know, I also thought he was really funny in King of Queens. I, I forget his name in that. Um, I, I never really got. I never really got into that show. I don't know why. Maybe just because I'm like afraid to laugh at Kevin James because I don't want to think he's funny, even though he actually <laughs> is funny. Because I just think he's kind of cheesy. But I always yeah. just never gave it a shot. <laughs> I'm sure it's Which, fantastic. It. I mean, it's it is pretty funny. It's a lot funnier, I think, than you would think. I understand that sentiment. But uh, you know, he just plays this. Kind of uh, hilarious father again, you know. He just says off the wall type shit, and um, yeah, it's just he just he was just such a just a hilarious hilarious actor. Um, obviously, his role as Mari Ballstein and Zoolander is also <laughs> hilarious. Capiche um, now piss. Yeah. <laughs> I always said that. And I never even understood what prostate problems were. I probably still don't. But at the same time, we like watched that like in middle school. Didn't understand the joke, but just thought it was funny that he was just like pissing in the urinal with like no hands, like hands up, being like, made a PP or what did he say? What was he yeah. saying? Like, you finally made <laughs> Wait, I remember he says, like, I've got a prostate the size of a honeydew. He's like, it like, up like a fucking tiki torch. And then like, 
And I think, like, he finally pisses and, like, he, like, celebrates and, like, he throws his hands up. And I think he's just, like, made a pee-pee or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah, he's, like, give, he's, like, give daddy a little pee-pee. Give oh, yeah, pee-pee. give daddy a little pee-pee. Uh, I love this. I rewatched his uh, thing on Seinfeld. I mean, there's the funny, the crazy thing is that he's remembered for Seinfeld a lot, obviously, but he only appeared in 26 episodes. I think that, like, the whole show had 20, but he's such a big force of that show. It only had 26 appearances oh, wow. uh, but I, I rewatched the one where they put the pool scene with uh, the pool hall in like his like george's old room or whatever but it's like too small to have a pool table in there and they're like <laughs> cluttering around but it's just so, I, I mean i know this is so specific and so dumb but whatever like they're like pitching it to the maestro to come over and you're like king and kramer trying to come up with the name that they were called and like you can just see that like he's got that got it in his head and waiting for the timing to be perfect and he just goes the place to be <laughs> like they call yeah. it to be like his his timing and energy and like his body and hand motions are so like the whole package is so funny he always oversells everything it's so great rod did you i'm sorry well i was just last thing i was saying you can't it's hard to to talk about him and not talk about um you know the airing of the grievances when he and yeah. just like the way he, the way he delivers that, I've got a lot, I've got a lot of problems with you people. Yeah, he I just like let you all know about it now, basically. It's just, it's just he's so funny, and and there's also some great bloopers in Seinfeld that that include him that you just have to watch to see just how how much he makes the other actors and actresses laugh. Yeah, um, because that's what I'm saying. Like his whole facial expression, his body language is just so like boiling over with this. Like he's he's by all accounts a super nice man or was a super nice man, but he plays that angry like boiled over angry character so well, like where it's just festering and he just wants to yell something out. <laughs> Rod, did you have uh, one scene in particular before we move on to get to the picks? Um, not really a scene, but you y- you kind of mentioned it earlier. But heavyweights to me is also near, <laughs> de- near and dear to my heart. Camp Hope was always a place I asked my parents to go to every summer. And I never made it, but I uh, I think it's very cool that uh, a <laughs> father, son, and mother were all in a movie. So that's you know, oh the mother, the mom. Yeah. That's actually uh, Ben's mom. Yeah, that's Ben's mom and uh, the, and the Bushkin, the Bushkins, the Bushkins were both Ben's parents. Yeah. Oh, and and heavyweights. Yeah, that's his mom. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's that is such a great movie. Gosh. What's he say? He's like, never let anybody sign your checks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? And he's wearing that like classic cabana wear shit. That's so funny. Uh, which is sort of like, it's almost like he got stuck in time with that outfit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the attire that he that uh, he wears in Zoolander is outrageous. <laughs> for, for someone that age. I mean, he was probably, I think he was in his 80s when Zoolander came out. He lived a long life. Something close to that. All right, so that was great. Uh, I mean, we love Jerry Stiller, but we uh, we do have to move on. This is the Jerry Stiller podcast, so we're going to move on to the marquee picks. <laughs> Tonight, since we're doing uh, War Dogs, it's about uh, two guys in their what, uh, arms dealers. It's sort of a buddy comedy, but a dark buddy comedy. So we're going to do our favorite on-screen duos. We haven't decided to order. We uh, Last time, there was a little bit of debate. Rod got to go first last time. So we're, I'm going to toss it up to Preston this time, then we'll go to Rod, then me, and then we'll snake back around like usual. So 
Preston, you get to go first this time. You get your one pick in that no one else can possibly challenge. Up to you. That's true. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go <laughs> with my number three. It's going to be Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins as oh, uh, Cleary Starling and Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Wow. That's, I didn't think about that one at all. Talk about, like, having some chemistry on a set in the end, like best horror, like psychological thriller films of all time. It, it, it was like the only film, I think at the time, I think it was a 91 that, that kind of swept the Academy Awards. Um, uh, uh, best actor, best actress, best picture. Um, I think they won like best screenplay, best director. It was just I out of control for a horror film to do that well. And I think a lot of it had to do with how great Anthony Hopkins and Jerry Foster were in all those scenes together. I mean, the, the, the dialogue and the back and forth, it was just, it was chilling. It was, you know, interesting. And it really was like the glue to an already great film. Well, the thing that's... Uh interesting to me also and we kind of just mentioned it with jerry stiller's character in uh seinfeld and that he only had a limited amount of episodes but he sort of was such a memorable character in the movie but hannibal lecter was only on on camera what for like wasn't he like 15 minutes or something like that and he became like one of the most iconic characters uh in film history like everyone knows his lines everyone knows what he does like it's 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 sort of wild that someone could steal the show in such a limited amount of time yeah, I did not know it was only like 15 minutes. Seems like no, it's, it it's, it's small. Longer. No, it's small. I promise you it's small. I think it's less than 20. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's less than 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, it's just cool as well. I mean, if you think about some of the shows that we see today on like Netflix, um, like Mindhunter or uh, even some of these uh, like documentaries of crazy crime, like true crime cases. I mean, hearing her talk to... Uh, Hannibal Lecter it's 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 like it's straight from that playbook of, of getting insight into why a criminal is is the way they are and what motivates them and I don't know you know like going back and watching some scenes it made me think about uh yeah that show Mindhunter which is which is a good show uh for those who haven't seen it <laughs> um and how that that became such a big part of being like a detective and detective's work was okay we need to talk to past serial killers or past criminals to learn about new criminals or current criminals. And for Sounds of the Lambs, that was Buffalo Bill, um, who <laughs> had some pretty ridiculous scenes. Yeah, no, um, I, mean, stuff, I mean, the, but... the whole movie's great. The whole premise, obviously, like you said, it's it's pretty wild to think that that's part of the job. And it's also you can understand when you're watching that movie too that like he get he loves the attention he loves the like it's a mild like perverse adoration they have for his intelligence that he provides help to like solve a problem and he sort of just uses that leverage to sort of tease them on i mean it's all it's all so good it's great performance like you said good great duo <coughs> excuse that call rod on to you number two i mean i'm your number three number two big Okay, so um, my number three choice is going to foreshadow one of my picks on the wheel. I've got my fingers <laughs> crossed that we get it picked. 
but it's going to be uh, Natalie Portman's um, yeah. silver screen debut along with Janet Reno in Leo the Professional. <laughs> I, you know, when we got this topic, when we were talking about on-screen duos, I had a feeling because, I mean, that is such a great, uh, a great pair. That's a yeah. great pick, Robert. So basically it's a 45-year-old man and a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> and I, I don't want to spoil anything so that that that's where i'll leave my pick <laughs> no i mean like you said there's always some awkwardness like he's sort of a loner he's an assassin by himself doesn't have kids doesn't have a family so obviously there's the innocence versus somebody who's incredibly what do you want to say has sort of a dark uh career so they have to sort of balance this out between sort of a super innocent girl with somebody that's also incredibly dark at the same time and they sort of learn from each other and also he learns to care about you know her i guess too i, I can't yeah. really remember but that's obviously sort of the dynamic that's going on <laughs> well and you just i mean that being her first film right rod that was her debut yeah, yeah rod, in fact you could, just, you could just tell she was going to be a she was going to be a force and she still is like one of the great actresses today but um yeah they were just they were great together uh Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to move on to uh, mine, which is, I'm going to start with number three. This is going to be a little bit uh, controversial because it's not two people, actually. It's a person and his thing. But my number three pick is going to be Jeffrey Lebowski and his white Russian. So always has to be, always has to be, (laughs) always has to be on screen with it. It's sort of like his partner in crime in some aspects. Uh, I, I could have chosen, you know, Walter Shobjack or Donnie, but I felt like that was a trio. But it's always he's always it could have chosen a, his joint as well. So maybe that is the trio. Uh, yeah. Lebowski, white Russian and like a little tiny joint or whatever. But I chose him and his uh, his drink because he has to always have it. I love his sort of attachment to it. He doesn't come across as something like a drunk or anything. It's just sort of like his stabilizing force. Like he's just got to always have that white Russian. It's sort of a great little duo there that they uh <laughs> you know uh, whatever just trying to be outside the box a little bit i love that i love that and it makes me kind of want to uh change up my number two <laughs> but seriously that's a great yeah you could definitely add the joint in there um fun that's just that's a fun time matthew <laughs> thanks for that we're, we're really enjoying well, ourselves look, here. i always i always encourage some creativity with these picks outside the box think about it that's my only outside the box pick the yeah, rest are, you, the, the rest the rest are pretty conventional. Um, Rod, you you opened the box door and you stepped it <laughs> yeah, out. Can't believe it's it. Scott's box of picks. Uh, Rod, do you have? You, I know you love the Big Lebowski. Rod, do you have anything to add about uh, Jeffrey and his White Russian? You think did it make you drink? Want to drink White Russians? Let's get to that topic a little bit because it definitely made me want. It definitely that's how I discovered the drink. Uh, I think I'm going to be honest. I I want one right now. I think it'll be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really ties the room together. You know? um, it's one of those drinks. You have one, maybe one and a half, two, and you're just like, yeah, this is this is great. <laughs> it was one if you have way too many. Like, I remember sitting at an airport and being like sitting there for a long time because the flight was delayed and just kept on drinking white Russians. And it's like, it's just too much milk and just get sits <laughs> in your stomach. And It'll fuck like, you up for sure. Yeah, it's like too much. Well, it's not just the alcohol. Like I said, it's just like a lot of milk and like heaviness. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so it upsets your stomach. Yeah. So you can't like shit. You're just like sweating like this alcohol out. 
<laughs> it's so gross. But no, I mean, that's how I learned about uh, White Russians. That's a great drink. I'm sure so many people started drinking White Russians because of that movie. So <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I so did. Yeah. I'll move on to number two. Um, my second pick is going to be R2-D2 and C-3PO in the Star Wars <sighs> trilogy. You didn't have that. Uh, y'all aren't super... Did you have that, or are you just saying that? No, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't, wasn't going to put it on my list, but that is... Uh... I mean, that's awesome. It's great. Uh, great I want to say, uh, just because I thought it was just so unique because I was watching Star Wars recently, but it's so funny because there's sort of like the comic relief in the Star Wars trilogy. And not only that, it's like a partnership where one person talks and the person and the, yeah, the droid that doesn't talk is actually somehow a smart ass, which is so funny. Like, it's it's crazy how they wrote <laughs> that. Or like, Because it, it's, it's like he's, one. He's a bit of a bully. Yeah, no, like, he's a smartass, and, like, he never actually says anything in English, and it's so funny that, like, they were able to manipulate that, like, with language and make it come across on, like, on screen. I thought it was just so, I've always thought it was, like, really clever how that works, is that, like, you never actually hear what R2-D2 has to say, but it, <laughs> the implication is that he's correcting C-3PO and making them sound stupid or something. Okay, so, Rod, we'll go to uh, your number two. I just did R2-D2, C-3PO, Rod Budman's number two pick. Okay, my number two, y'all are going to have to um, offer me a little bit of artistic license, <laughs> if you will. Um, I view it as a duo and a single. Some would view it as a trio, but I'm going to go with the 93 classic Homeward Bound, uh, <laughs> Chance and Shadow, and then, of course, Sassy. Sassy. How do you voiced, know? Uh, voiced by Sally Field. <laughs> a great Sally Field. Well, so wait, so, so what was your so what was your logic when you said that it, well, like if someone said view it as a single, somebody view that you would view it as a trio? What was uh? I, I was just trying to fit into the boundaries of our favorite <laughs> duos, so I figured I could make it. You know, it's really a trio in the film, but I just wanted to fit into the rules of engagement here. I know. Well, yeah, no dogs probably count as half. So if you do three, that's one and a half. And it rounds up to two, so it works. It would be two, <laughs> yeah. which would be one dog. and then one <laughs> so, we, so we don't offend oh, well, anyone yeah, that's else. Right, that's there. right. Sassy's a cat. No, no, no. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. no, you're, you're very good. No, no, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I haven't watched the movie in so long. Isn't, isn't Chance uh, Michael J. Fox or who's... It? Michael J. Fox is Chance. And then we've got uh, Don and Michi as Shadow. <laughs> Don and Michi. Can't <laughs> forget Don and Michi. Do you... No, Don Amici's whole filmography, or is that uh, just something you had to look up? I'm looking um, up. I'm he was in the Big Green. What? Yeah. Which one is he in the Big Green? And he is in Space Jam. He voices over. Um, who was it? Forget. I think he's the hole that they swallow Peterman into. He's not like the. Uh, he's not like the fat, the fat kid goalie in the Big Green, is he? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Oh, you never seen the Big Green? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Big, Big Green. That's a great movie. Yeah, there's a, a goat who picks Green. a ball in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, Matthew, may I ask uh, real quick? I'm sorry to go back, but I was just I just thought about this. Why uh, Why not Han and uh, Chewbacca? Because I thought that was uh, just because you hate Chewbacca. 
No, no reason in particular. It's just I thought the uh, the joint the joint partnership was a little bit funnier to me, uh, and I, I thought that one was a little bit more obvious. But but it's the same thing. I mean, it's the same context, right? Where uh, uh, Chewbacca doesn't speak English, but he's constantly sort of correcting Han. It's actually identical in some ways, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, shut it up, furball," kind of thing. Like where the implication is Chewbacca is sort of the smartass, even though we don't understand what he's saying. So it's actually the exact same written sort of concept. Uh, so that's actually interesting. I never thought about that. Uh, okay, so we just had uh, Rod's pick with uh, Chance of Shadow. Like I said, very, very creative, too. Preston's going to go here with his number two and then round off number one with our number one, so then we'll get into War Dogs. So Preston, two. Let's go. Um, all right, so I made a last-second change. Um, I'm going with Elwood and Jake Blues from the Blues Brothers, <laughs> which would be, of course, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. And really the main reason is um, these two obviously had a lot of chemistry in the film, but they had chemistry that was already, um, you know, cultivated on SNL and uh, also both being musicians or at the very least like good singers and great performers. The chemistry went beyond the acting and the, in the comedy, you know, like they also had to do some of the music and it's a, and it's just a fun film. I mean, the, I, I, I mean, it's a fun little plot. You also have just great music throughout. Um, and it's, yeah, so you're just dealing with a lot of funny little parts of American society seen through the, the lens of these two brothers <laughs> who play music. I mean, it's, it's really great. What's what's a, what's a John Belushi's brother's name? The, the sort of lesser talented one that obviously is still alive. Jim. Jim, Jim. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is way off topic. I'm sorry for deviating from your pick, but have you guys ever seen Jim Belushi's feud with David Cross? Have you ever seen like videos of that? And it's, yeah. it's, I don't know. It's just so, okay. I'm sorry. It's, it's so funny, but like David Cross has like vacationed in like Martha's vineyard a few times where Jim Belushi like performs and he like has some like feud with Jim Belushi from some movie they did apparently like what was filmed in Las Vegas where Jim Belushi thought he was like some big star and like couldn't talk with David Cross. So anyways, David Cross has sort of been like trying to piss him off ever since, but he like, uh, goes, sure. he like, he like goes to his concerts and he starts like dancing in the front row with all these like old women. And then he like tries to get up on stage and he gets up on stage and starts dancing with like, cause like all these, like Jim Belushi like invites all these women on stage and David Cross goes with them and they like try to kick him off stage, but he like avoids the security guards and keeps on like dancing and grinding on Jim Belushi. So it's not, <laughs> it's not a bit. No, I mean, no, no. I mean, it's like he legitimately is just trying to embarrass Jim Belushi. That's this whole, that's the whole thing. It's not like, no, it's not like a, a lot. It's like somebody was filming this and David Cross is like trying to just embarrass Jim Belushi. It's really, it's kind of, I don't know. I'm sorry. This is way off topic, but it's, it's really, it's really, really funny. Uh, Cause I'm a big David Cross fan, but it's just like, it's so funny. He talks about Jim Belushi and how big of an asshole he is off, off, off screen or whatever. And once you have that context and you watch the videos, you can just see he's trying to fuck with them so hard because he has no respect for Jim Belushi's uh, acting and singing career because he's just riding off of his more talented brother's coattails. Yeah, sort of David Cross is a very funny original comedian. He's probably like, yeah, this guy's not even that funny. No, uh, exactly. I mean, like, <laughs> Belushi's, uh, I mean, like, he's kind of funny, but in no way, shape or form would he have probably been famous without like his brother sort of pioneering his way through some of that. Yeah. <laughs> John Belushi is considered one of the funniest ever, you know, to to perform. And so, that's a, I mean, that's a hard, hard shoes to follow. But 
yeah, that, that show on ABC wasn't anything to like <laughs> record on the DVR. I do remember watching it and think it was like funny at the time, but then again, like what you think is funny when you're 12 and you watch in retrospect, you sort of cringe yeah. at. So, um, <laughs> all right. But anyway, I'm sorry for getting off track for the, the Blues Brothers things, but now it's it's still your turn. You got your number one. And we'll go to Rod, and then we'll go to me, and then we'll get to War Dogs. But uh, Preston's number one. This is what everyone's been waiting for. They keep asking. We love Preston's top pick. So go ahead. They do. They really do. (laughs) My number one was pretty easy for me. It's the first one I thought of. It's probably my favorite comedy movie or one of them. And it's Brennan Huff and Dale Dobak, um, (laughs) Stepbrothers. And it's just... I mean, there are a lot of things I could probably put (laughs) at number one, but this one to me, I'm just constantly laughing. They, I don't know if they're ever in a film together before this. I don't think they were. And their chemistry is just, it's perfect. Uh, I think a lot of people. Was that before Talladega Nights? That was before Talladega Nights? Or was that? I think it was. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. God, I kind of forgot about Talladega Nights. Also hilarious. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll have to check that. But either, I mean, I, in my opinion, Step Brothers is way better of the two. But um, yeah, there's just so many iconic lines. The ridiculousness of their characters and the fact that they are both like in their early 40s and live with their mom <laughs> and then their dad and then their parents get together and and uh, like just the shit they say. It's so. It's just like every little line when you go back and watch it. It's it's fucking hilarious. Will Ferrell has this sort of like quality where sometimes I remember walking out of Anchorman and thinking it wasn't funny, which I know might be like sacrilegious or something like that. But then when you like somewhere like watch Will Ferrell movies again, they actually become funnier and funnier. Yeah. And like I know that sounds dumb. Like I, I, for some reason, like when I watch Will Ferrell movies the first time, I always don't think they're that great. I'm like, oh, this is corny. And then I like it just like sits with you, and you go, oh, shit, I need to watch it again because it actually is hysterical but yeah no it was the same thing with Step Brothers. i i know that movie's that movie's hysterical i love it and, and like you said john c riley and will will ferrell have have such great chemistry yeah. with each other you can tell that they just <coughs> were constantly making each other laugh and constantly just enjoying being a part of that movie i imagine like some of that stuff that was like i doubt when they got the script that they, they just kind of like, were like, Oh, we'll do the scene oh. here, but like, we're just going to make some shit up. Like, this is a great yeah. concept for the scene, but we're going to do it on our own. I think, I think that happens a lot, especially in Will Ferrell movies. And, and I, I mean, I would highly suggest everyone go watch the bloopers from set brothers because they're just, <laughs> they're so funny. And it's, I mean, they're almost as funny, if, if not funnier than some of the, the scenes in the movies. Um, Talladega Nights was, was before, brothers so that was my bad but you know either way two movies I, great chemistry i do love the line when the dad's like i'm gonna go drink at the cheesecake factory which was just so sad and miserable <laughs> like i know that's not having to do with will ferrell john c Riley, but that just what peter jenkins yeah it just it, it just it just hits so hard he's like i'm gonna go get a beer at the cheesecake factory it's just like yeah. <laughs> it's the only There's... bar you could think of they're just everything is just so funny. Like I love how they they start off just not liking each other, and like before that <laughs> that fight they have where they're just think John C. Riley walks in, he sees that he's been that Will Ferrell's character has been sweating, and he just looks at him and he's like, "Why are you sweating?" And he's like, "What? I've, I've been watching cops." <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when he figures out that 
of course, he'd been, you know, messing around with his drum set. <laughs> also, isn't that the same thing, too? Like, right with, like, the parents, like, ground them to, like, no TV for a week. And he looks at his mom, and he's like, are you fucking high? Yeah. <laughs> and then they then they sleepwalk that night, I think. And they, yeah. like, they put pillows in the oven. and like... so Dude, they, they both sleepwalk, right? Yeah. They both sleepwalk, and they both have a, a certain thing they do when they sleepwalk. And, like, I think Will Ferrell's character puts pillows in the oven and then <laughs> John C. Riley's character does something else I can't remember but they both realize at the same time the parents do and they're like have you checked the oven have you <laughs> <laughs> but they like they like say like you can't distract them because they'll like fight you or something like that in their sleep right am I making that up or is that is no that that, right? that's that's what they uh, yeah I think it happens one time like they wake them up and they start screaming and like throwing throwing punches yeah you have like gorilla strength when you're sleepwalking so you don't want to fuck with somebody that's walking around while they're sleeping. <laughs> All right. Uh, good stuff. All right, Rod. That was a great number one pick for Preston. Rod, your number one pick, and then we'll move to mine, and then we'll go to... My number one is going to come with a two-second honorable mention of Atreyu and Falcor, and I'll move on. Oh, never okay. ending story. But <laughs> my number one is going to be um, Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield in Pulp Fiction. Pretty Dang. obvious answer. But I just love that movie, and I really, really, really like those two together. <laughs> that was uh, that was for sure. I, I've struggled putting that on the list or not, and uh, definitely honorable mention. That's that's probably one of the best duos of all, like Tarantino films. And I, you know, I always when I think of them, I think about the different like. Like soliloquies that would go on, but I also think about just Samuel Jackson's character talking about loving that coffee and like this is some serious gourmet shit. <laughs> it's just like I don't know why that sticks in my mind, but um yeah, I mean those two together are I mean they're hilarious, but that but at the same time I don't I don't know, they're just kind of an unlikely pair that work together. Uh, yeah, it's like John Travolta's like resurgence back into sort of like popular culture. Wasn't he like fading completely? And then all of a sudden he got sort of offered that role and he obviously just sort of resurrected his career. Yeah. Like, I mean, it made him cool because he was a guy who was doing sort of those old sort of dancey movies, like musical stuff. And now he's sort of got to play sort of a gangster kind of person that just made him a little bit different, a little bit edgier than people got to see him in a different light rather than as sort of grease or. What, what's the other one like the dirty uh, or uh Saturday Night Fever? Yeah, Saturday Night Fever, shit like that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean it's obviously uh is it Rod, is that is that your favorite Tarantino movie? Is that the best one? Or do you uh is that just your favorite partnership? That is my favorite Tarantino movie, yeah. 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 Uh, definitely a classic, definitely the one that probably I mean, obviously Reservoir Dogs put him on the map, but Pulp Fiction sort of solidified his career as being a super talented writer and director. He was. Sure. It made him not made him not a one hit wonder, so to speak. <clears throat> not that he was yeah. ever going to be a one hit wonder, but I'm sure, like when you're young and you get to direct Reservoir Dogs, people are, are like, "What are you going to do next?" And he came out with something even better, and it just sort well, of shut people up. Yeah, I think it really took. I mean, he was, I think, really well known as being a great writer, like very innovative, original, and like his directing was clearly, you know, starting to to shape itself, but like. Pulp Fiction just took him to a whole other stratosphere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a great movie. I, I feel like I haven't watched it 
in a long time. It's, I feel like Pulp Fiction is something that everyone gets into in college. Am I wrong about that, or is that, uh, or was everyone into that in high school, or, or like it's sort of one of those things that like a prerequisite before you get to college. It's like, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Can you talk about Pulp Fiction? What's your favorite Pulp Fiction line, <laughs> or something like that? If you're not, if you don't have Pulp Fiction poster on your dorm room, then you don't know anything about film, kind of thing. You can just get out. You can just get the fuck out. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, we'll move on. Uh, that's a great pick, Rod. That's Rod's number one pick, Pulp Fiction. I'm going to move on to something that's probably uh, – I know I've been building this up. This is actually probably going to be a letdown. I, I can already assure you. But uh, number one pick for me, I'm doing uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson, uh, the Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law version. Uh, I've been a big fan of the uh, just the whole genre for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, really, really like their Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Jude Law version of this that just came out. With it's also Guy Ritchie who wrote and directed that stuff. I, I mean, I know it's sort of cheesy, but I like those movies a lot. <laughs> Rod, are you, do you... As, as Budman's hating on it, I think. But no, no, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It is corny, it is cheesy, but they've got a great chemistry with each other. I, I think it's funny. I'm 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 sort of a sucker for a murder mystery kind of thing. So that was number one. I could have I could have gotten creative with it, but I went I went with that one. Uh, and like I said, I almost wanted to like tag it as like the whole thing because I also like the uh, the Sherlock series. It's like the BBC thing that's on Netflix with the, the Benedict Cumberbatch and who's the other guy who plays Watson? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Benefit Lumberjacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, 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 I just, I don't know. It's they're great movies. I like Junior. I think he's funny. He sort of adds sort of, he does sort of the same thing over and over again. But maybe I'm just a sucker and fall for it all the time. Oh, all right. Uh, I mean, that that is also that's an icon. It's an iconic duo from like literature. Uh, it's you know, I mean, don't feel too bad about yourself, but I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I haven't uh, seen either of any of these formats. You haven't, seen you haven't seen any of the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies? Oh, well, they're pretty fun. They're entertaining. They're super entertaining. They're pretty yeah. fun too. First one's good. Yeah, there was a second say. one. There was a second one, and like, um, <clears throat> it's a little bit cheesier and cornier, and a little bit more long-winded, but it's still a good movie. It's still fun to watch. I think it's called like Shadow Games or some shit like that. But you no, like to describe it, long-winded. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, <laughs> I wasn't just saying just the uh, RDJ and Jude Law thing. I was more just talking about the partnership in general because it's sort of iconic and classic. But oh, for sure, like I said, obviously not. <sighs> Not a Rod or Preston favorite, but that's okay. I can tell by the looks from their faces that they want to move on. So we're going to move on to War Dogs. <laughs> that's not true, people. That, yeah, no, everyone, for the record, let the record show that Preston looks absolutely aggravated. <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes, he's like sending me mean texts right now. He's like, you ruined the fucking show. Okay. You um, ruined my wife. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on to War Dogs. We're going to just talk about some brief points that we have before we get into the wheel. Uh, favorite points, things you want to talk about, things that you thought were interesting about the movie. This was Rod's pick. So, Rod, do you want to kick us off since it was your pick? This is something that you obviously found interesting, a movie that you wanted to talk about, you loved. Go for it. 
one. Um, yeah, okay. So it, it's basically like uh, Lord of War almost. I mean, would you guys agree on that? <laughs> it is like I mean, it's, it's story of an arms dealer. It may even be based on the same guy. I don't think it is. I think me and Matthew yeah. we spoke about this last night. That it's yeah. based based off someone's memoir, uh, Ephraim, I believe. But I was, oh. um, you know, jo- Jonah Hill stars in it. I don't know the other guy's name, but his girlfriend, fiance's name is like Anna de Anjas. She's great. She is great. Um, and then also, I guess Bradley Cooper's in there. The Coop Man is in there. But yeah. um, I, I think it was very, I, I was kind of skeptical about Jonah Hill and this kind of role. But I guess also in Lord of War, Nicolas Cage has a little bit of, you know, kind of antics that are funny. But um, I guess to get, get back to it, like you said, Matthew, it's a dark comedy or a bark it's um i think jonah hill did a really good job for the role and um i think it was a i think it was a good film all right so the piggyback on rod's point about jonah hill's uh jonah hill's portrayal in here did y'all did y'all find something so that i won't say it's aggravating but it was something that absolutely was Oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, was something that you had to notice was his like high pitched laugh. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, did you did y'all notice yeah. that? Like, yeah. like, I was curious. Did y'all think that was something that like he learned from like by studying the character, the person specifically, or do you think he just added that on his own, or like it was something that yeah. absolutely? I don't think that's something that you just go, oh, I want to give this guy an annoying laugh. It sounded like he had to have known that came from somewhere. I, you would think so because these are this is kind of character acting uh, as much as it can be. I'm, I'm sure they followed these guys are, are are you know learned enough about their story. The laugh thing though, it's weird. The first time I saw the movie, I, I kind of thought it was funny at first. This time seeing it, I was just like, God, it's so it's just weird. And I wouldn't put it past Jonah Hill being like, I'm just gonna this guy's kind of a kind of a douche. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add a douchey laugh to it. But um, I don't know. But also, you know, he's a pretty serious actor, we've, as we've come to know. And so he might have he might have heard it from speaking to that guy and thought, OK, I'm going to add this in the character. Yeah, I feel like he had to have interviewed him, at least. I mean, there's no he wasn't like in like security lockdown, like no visitors type prison or whatever. I'm sure you could have gone and talked to him or at least call him on the phone or something. And it was just some little trait he picked up on. But he absolutely made it clear that he wanted people to hear his little high-pitched sort of asthmatic laughter in that movie because it was sort of like every single thing that was in that like every single little joke was like <laughs> like it was it was very very obvious that it was a character trait he wanted you to hear about it uh right did you i mean did you pick yeah, up on that run or did, was absolutely, like, did you... absolutely i honestly think it was serving as a little bit of foreshadowing because it was almost <laughs> a sarcastic smart ass kind yeah. of laugh of like oh we're laughing right now but you know i'm gonna go and steal our 70 30 contract while you're out of the country yeah so i, so, I think so it was like intent intentional almost like sarcastic but like pokey said or preston said um i think yeah you probably met with the guy and was like wow this guy is a no, but that's an interesting point like so you think it was almost so like fake because obviously at the end 
we get revealed that sort of the friendship or like his whole thing, like obviously we know that Ephraim's sort of faking his way through this in terms of he tells lies to advance his career or whatever. But do you think like his laugh was part of that in terms of like he was almost fake laughing in some sentences? Like, 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 is that what you're sort of saying? Is that like it's almost a foreshadowing of to, to, to be honest, Matthew, Matthew? I mean, I almost chose it as my marquee pick for number three. Like, <laughs> I, I really think that that was the intention of the laugh. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, like, it does sound almost so contrived that it is fake, and it could be a point that it was trying to be sort of like a I don't want to say a symbol, I don't think we're getting too deep here, but almost symbolic of uh how he was sort of faking his way through that whole friendship sort of thing. Like he was almost laughing to the point where it almost became like, I, said, yeah, almost, like I can't believe friendship. this is working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so, all right. So we talked about Ephraim. We talked about Junel. I, I don't want to like fat shame anyone, but I do think that uh, uh. This, this was the biggest point in Jonah Hill's career in terms of, I'm not talking about like his startup, but I'm talking about his overall weight. Not that, uh, uh, not that, this is really important at all, but this, this is I feeling did, really fat shaming. I did look this up. He lost. That's when he lost the weight was right after this movie. But I, I did feel like he was very, very big at this movie. Uh, yeah, they, I think that's this was for, his, for sure. This this was his biggest movie. OK, so uh, <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> I just wanted to make that. Awesome. It's never wanted, good to start. I, I, this, I, this is not fat shaming, however. I wanted to make the point that I'd noticed it. Even though that's so stupid, but I did look it up. So people, I do the research before this show, uh, do the pre-production. I do the work. That's why this is going to be successful. This is okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's the nuance. It's the nuance, people. We give you, we give you all the facts. Yeah, we give you all the fat facts. We give you all the laugh jokes. We give you everything. All right. So Preston, do you have anything that uh, we're working? We just talked about Jonah Hill's character, Ephraim. Do you have anything that you want to specifically talk about? One of your points of reference here. Hold on. Edit this out. Yeah, we're going to edit this out. We're going to edit all this out. Let me mark the time Drop here. The time. Um, let's see. Oh, well, uh, really great soundtrack. Yeah. Pretty much. Still like every, <laughs> every five minutes, there's like a, a rocking tune. You got like uh, Joe Walsh. You had a blue oyster cult cover in a what I think was a nursing home. Um, Wait, what Beastie was the cover? In the, you know, by the way, a uh, uh, little fun fact here: the guy who was actually in the nursing home playing the uh, the song—that's a cameo from the actual David character, the guy Miles Teller, who that's the actual real oh, person. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, right. That's so really the, cool. Yeah, the real who, life. Who, who is Miles Teller? Miles Tiller is Ephraim's partner, David. David, yeah. David Pacquiao. The guy who that was based on was the guy in, in the nursing home playing that song for the elderly people. Oh. He's playing, um... He wasn't playing... Reaper? Was he playing Don't Fear the Reaper? Why would he play Don't Fear the Reaper in a nursing home? But then again, it's a dark comedy. I don't... Yeah. I don't, I don't, don't fear it. Was, yeah. No, uh, they were playing Can't Hear Me Knocking, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. <laughs> Hope the Reaper definitely is there, but I don't remember it being like an acoustic version at the nursing home. Um, it, it could be wrong. Uh, people at home, let oh, us know. What was it? Oh, now, yeah, now I'm not so sure. I'll figure it out. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. But uh, that is a fun fact. A little cameo. That was the guy that the character Miles Teller's playing. That's based off of. He was the guy playing in the nursing home. 
Okay, but See, no. this is what we can do for people. You know, like I didn't even know that. Really great point. journalism. Yeah, to your point though, the soundtrack is fantastic. It's something Rod and I talked about off off screen during pre production. It was a it was a great 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 soundtrack. Um, it, this great great score. Great score. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> of, of other people's songs. That's right. So we use the proper um, industri- industry terms like score instead of soundtrack. <laughs> soundtrack. Yeah. No, but I mean, uh, what was the other? Yeah, it was Don't Fear the Reaper. It was It was an acoustic version of Don't Fear the Reaper? Yeah. I'm just trying to think of what like, or, part of the song it was. That is really dark, though, to like play that to a bunch of elderly people. Like, I, I guess that's sort of a Todd Phil thing. Is to sort of play yeah. something, but it is that is that's actually kind of creepy and kind of funny. I didn't, I guess, I was so enthralled with him talking about his Egyptian sheets he was trying to sell that I wasn't paying attention to the soundtrack. <laughs> I know they had like a 400 thread count, so I understand that they were super soft and like, I mean, I'm I'm in the market for new sheets, so I was paying extra attention to what he has. He was call. give him a check him out and see. He might still be doing it. Well, that's a good question. What did he actually do with the sheets? Did I guess he just dumped them to like lie to his? Oh yeah. Like so he. Boxes. I mean, he was lying to his wife about like that was the whole scam. He's like, we're gonna sell the sheets to the government for like the soldiers or something like that. So do you think he just like casually started dumping sheets in the trash can, or how do you think he was lying to his wife about that? That's something we actually never find out about. <laughs> I would yeah, the ins and outs of how this all works and how they're able to do certain things. Um, I certainly would like to know. I guess you can't really fit that in a two-hour movie. Maybe it's in that memoir, which I've not read. But, um, <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know if it's is it my turn to bring up a point, but it, it, it makes me just think of that scene where they go from, uh, where they smuggle the guns from Jordan to Baghdad. <laughs> and I'm just, I, the whole time I'm thinking, how, like, this happened? They did this? That and like in the middle of the Iraq War, like that's before, so before terrifying. we get before we get into that, uh, can we talk about the the prequel to that? Is that they had to, yeah, talk talk through like a child translator to get that <laughs> shit done, which I thought was like a really funny scene. <laughs> um, so they're like dealing with a twelve year old and like his mob boss dad, who like I think he could like. He obviously could speak. Do you, do you guys think he could speak English, or do you think he was just using them to like as a manipulative tool to sort of do that, to sort of figure out what they know and sort of kind of thing, or do you think that he actually needed the little kid to translate for them? I think he could speak English. You talking about the scene where Jonah Hill goes, uh, "Yeah, t- ask him how much for the sunglasses and gibberish." Yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah. It's yeah, it's 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 pretty racist or whatever, but it's uh, it's actually funny. I mean, the, movie. <laughs> another another thing I wonder about that character is, I mean, I, it's hard to tell if someone. I, mean, I think all of that is is Jonah Hill, uh, who I mean, throughout the movie had some pretty funny lines or funny deliveries, and that that was certainly one of them. Even though it was like he was clearly making a lot of racist remarks, but um, there <laughs> there were definitely some like laugh out funny parts with Jonah Hill's character, like the, when they're walking and they get stoned before they go into that like meeting <laughs> and they're walking down the hall and he stops and he says, does it sound like there's more than two people walking down this hall? Yeah. And then when they, and he's like, yeah, for sure. And they start back up and it's just like, it's, you know, it sounds like 14, you know, feet just walking around. The odd thing about this is they make them like almost 
sound so incompetent, but they were actually running such a, uh, you know, a pretty high scale operation. Uh, Then again, there's all sorts of stories about this people running large scales that are almost in some ways super stupid and incompetent, but they sort of get themselves wrapped into these big, big operations and then don't have sort of the responsibility or uh, organizational skills to keep, keep themselves afloat, so to speak. But it's, they get, you know, obviously in under their heads. <coughs> but there is, like, there's a certain level of, uh, what do you want to call it, social intelligence, that he knows how to manipulate people and knows how to get what he wants. But he doesn't have maybe the organizational organizational skills to sort of tie it all together. Does that make sense? I, 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 maybe I'm sort of drifting a little bit, but I think he's obviously a smart guy. It's just that he sort of gets caught up. He doesn't know how to organize his lies to the point where he can sort of keep track of them. He gets sort of in too deep, I guess, is sort of what I'm getting at. I don't know. He's not dumb. I think what he what he has is like this, like, this, uh, like, almost desperate motivation, you know? I mean, he's kind of just... Yeah. He, he's... He, all he has is, like, his bravado, and... I mean, he definitely has some smarts, but I think he's, he's just so <laughs> determined to do yeah. all this. Like, he, he just, you know, he kind of works through it. Yeah, that's true. Rob, what do you think? Do you think he like he's intelligent, or do you think he's just some guy who's bullishly motivated to getting what he wants, or do you think it's a mixture of both? Bullishly motivated. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. I'm gonna have to look that one up after the uh, broadcast here. <laughs> See if there's any underlying tones that were meant by that. But no, I think um, there's a really good scene where I guess his name is Miles Teller, which also just learned that tonight where he's describing Ephraim's character as being being successful because he is whatever the person that wants what whatever whoever he's talking to he becomes the person that they want him to be I think he's he's intelligent in that which yeah. is very very intelligent it's it's kind of, I mean, he's, he's like a grifter, like kind of a con man in a way, you know? No, I mean, that's social intelligence in a way, but it's also manipulative in another way. So it's like, exactly. it's, it's like you can use it in a bad way. Like he understands in a way, like he could use it to like elicit sympathy and empathy. And when people are struggling, he knows what they're feeling, but instead he uses it to motivate them to get what he wants. So he plays right. on people's emotions to get what he wants rather than actually helping people out. So he uses like that sort of innate ability to understand how people are feeling in a completely negative way instead of actually using them in a positive way. Yeah, <clears throat> it's like so, a, it's like an at all costs kind of behavior. Like I and what like as long as I can get to this end game, I'll do anything in between. Um, yeah, and I really <laughs> don't care. <laughs> all right, and, so let, uh, to, just to back up real quick, we do know what he does with the sheets. After they buy the matching Porsches, they go on the, what is that, the Biscayne Bay in Miami, and they light them on fire. Wait, what? Did that yeah. happen? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I missed, I, I completely must have missed that. So he lights the sheets on fire? Yeah, it's like a 15-second scene. All that oh, Egyptian gosh. cotton? That must be hard to hear. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, I could have used that. that. I could have used at least one of those. Uh, uh, queen size, you know, good fit. Uh, <laughs> recycled it at least. Okay, so let's uh, let's get to the point what uh, Preston was making about uh, the Triangle of Death because it's obviously uh, a big scene in the movie where it's it's sort of the, their first big score, 
right? So they, oh, were doing, yeah. they were doing sort of small town stuff, and this is their first big thing. I think they make like three million, or is it ten million, or how much do they? It's, uh, it's like around three, and it, yeah, it started off in like eight hundred thousand range, I think, and then it goes up to three. Yeah, it's not total profits, but it's three million total. The deal is three million dollars. But uh, what 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 do you think about that, Rod or Preston? What what do y'all uh, <laughs> y'all's thoughts on what? I, I'm, tipped, I'm I'm trying not to get too deep into this question because I have a question about this on the wheel, so I I'm not trying to tempt you too much into getting into it. But go ahead, uh, your thoughts on that scene. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I wanted to make a point about that. And this is a little tidbit that we provide to our listeners that they probably didn't know as well. But <laughs> the whole scene of them driving across Iraq was that did not happen. What? So that what? did not happen. It was actually an experience of one of the screenwriters. Wow. Yes. Rod, Rod I don't think. Where, where did you read this though? That is that's a good point. I mean Obviously, Rod came in well informed and well researched. Where, I mean, how did how did you find this out? Um, so I read a uh, the Rolling Stone article. Oh, you did that the movie's based off of. Yeah, and that scene was fabricated. It is. It was actually based on um, Stephen Chen's real life experience. Oh wow! So did so the screenwriter clearly had a life before screenwriting no the screenwriter was like a marine or something like that one of like todd phillips wrote it with this right, guy okay. yeah 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 uh that's so, what i'm that's what i was wondering so was the the beretta deal actually real but they didn't the actually de- the, the deal was real but they didn't have to drive across iraq and then have like i mean that seems a little bit crazy there's like five blackhawk helicopters that come while they're going down the interstate uh, yeah and, and the, the pouring the gas I don't. I, I kind of wanted to ask y'all, why does the um, the U.S. Army troops in the Humvee when they're passing by flick them off, but they just killed off all the people that were following them? I'm guessing it's like thanks for making us come risk our lives on your behalf, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think okay. that's. Yeah. I think that's what it was. A sort of like, oh, we got the call that these Afghani people were chasing down a straight. Well, so now Rod. I'm very curious though. Did the is the the Albania deal like that whole? That's real, right? That, that was them. Uh, Rod. No, that's I think that's 100 real. That's how they got caught. Rod, can you hear me? I'm sorry. Yes. The the Albania deal though at the you know at the tail end like that was all real, right? Yes. Yes. Just the drive okay. across Iraq wasn't cool. Because one of the questions I was going to ask y'all is, what do you think? What do you think was more believable, Lord of War, or this? Oh, I want to say this just because there's so there's so like it's it's pretty small time, so it makes it more believable. If that makes sense, it's more yeah. it's more of a character study rather than like a story, so to speak. Because you don't even really get the cops involved. Like, Lord of War is sort of almost like a chase scene where they get the FBI and, like, they have Ethan Hawke's character trying to figure him out and stuff like that. And it even starts out with them, like, on a tanker, right? Where they have to, like, hide all sorts of weapons with, like, spoiled meat or something like that, right? Like, it's just so crazy. Lord of War is, like, almost like a big-time action film, right? I would say it's big-time action. It's just, it's got so many more bigger stories than this like the biggest story in this is just like oh let's repackage some ammo 
you know, and they get caught. Yeah. They get caught like because it's they did. much more dangerous than Lord of War. Yeah, like in Lord of War, like he's like dealing with like African and like uprisings and stuff like that. Like at least with this, at least, uh, and I shouldn't say this in like a content, like because it almost sounds rude, but in this one, they're only dealing with the U.S. government in terms of so like there isn't as much danger, right? Like they're not selling to African warlords, not selling to like third world countries where like maybe they could have all sorts of different things happen. I know that the means to get some of this stuff is absolutely dangerous, but the contracts are are more verifiable, if that makes sense, right? Like in Lord of War, like those stories are much more wild. Like he gets paid in cocaine, right? Like these people weren't getting paid in cocaine. The, the- the I'm, uh, I'm, it froze for me, but I'm yeah. sorry. Did y'all, did y'all mention uh, Jared Leto's character? <laughs> episode had, two. We, episode two. I think we did mention the Bad Batch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. He was in Lord of War, right? Right. Right. Yeah. He does. It. He does the uh, whole line of Ukraine. The whole uh, yeah. Air- that, I would say if there's anything that was believable, it's how he survived. <laughs> we talked about that. The uh, airplane scene, I think, is the most unbelievable in that movie. When Ethan Hawke's like a couple hours behind him and they just parked the 747. And Rod, did you research Lord of War like you researched War Dogs? Or did you ever see if, if any of that was real or what did you think? I did not do the research. <laughs> but my theory is that the airplane was not disassembled like that. There's no, way, there's no way you could do it that quickly, and there's no yeah. way you could sort of manipulate people to do it that quickly. Absolutely, that that didn't happen as quickly as they want to make it make you believe it happened. But I I, I do right. He he did get paid in cocaine, and he had to like he had to like find like that's what's crazy about that is that not only did he get paid in cocaine for some of the arms deals he did in South America, but then like you have to go and sell that somewhere else. So like. That makes it even more wild. So he wasn't even just an arms dealer. He was also became a drug dealer at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, certainly way crazier than uh, War Dogs. But I think we all... Have either of y'all seen Operation Odessa? <laughs> no. So it is a real documentary. And... Um, uh, I'm, you guys should watch it because it's, like I said, real-life documentary about a arms dealer that was in Miami, and uh, it'll make it, it makes these both of these movies more believable. <laughs> Blow your socks off. Yes. <laughs> well, let's talk about tons of Definitely cash. Watch that. We'll talk about tons of cash because that's kind of what we're getting at here. And I wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, so when they do complete the the what we learned is not 100% real, the, the Beretta deal through the Triangle of Death, is that they go into this tent, a U.S. Army tent, that has, I think they said $10 billion of cash. Was it $10 billion? How much was it, Rod? Uh, I mean, I'm shaking my head. I would be astounded if it, they said $10 billion. It was in the billion. I think it was in the billions. Preston, do you remember that? Either way, it was a fuckload of cash. Either way, it was a fuckload of cash. Is I mean, did, 
what, do y'all think that's real? Uh, that they that, that there's literally just a giant tub of cash on some of these army bases in the middle of Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that. And not only that, the, why would they pay these people in cash and then have to transport it back to the United States? It's a it's a U.S. government contract. I didn't understand why they couldn't just write them a check. I, like they had to like illegally bring cash back into the United States. Remember, like he had it like taped to his body and stuff like that. Like, well, I I just didn't that understand the whole process. Yeah. Like when you're dealing with the government, why did you have to make it illegal at the same time? Right, and they're like they're taking you to the airport and like escorting you and all this. You know, like it's clearly you're all involved. Yeah. So it, like at some point, someone told. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was bizarre. I remember watching that and thinking. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, shit, that's a lot of money just on that base. <laughs> Why do they need that much cash? Why do they need that much straight cash when, like, the government can wire people money? I understand that they confiscated it. I do understand that. They said they confiscated it from Saddam Hussein. But it seems like why would you just start paying people uh, yeah. in it rather than just, like, taking it back to the government and then just, pay, like, wiring it to people? I don't understand, like, why that whole – it just it almost seemed like it was contrived and made to make look more badass than it actually was. I, I mean, do you think that's real, Rod? Do you think they, they got paid in cash and had to smuggle it back into the United States? Or how, how – what do you think? Um, I, I think – I don't think they had $10 billion. I, well, you did say Saddam Hussein. Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> I think that it's hard to believe, but for the purposes of the in entertainment, I'd like to believe it's true and I can justify <laughs> it. So yeah. I'm going to think that the reason they couldn't wire it is because there probably wasn't any banks there for them to deposit the money and then wire it. And then also maybe like the commander of the U.S. troops over there, you know, instead of having, you know, hit, take a hit on his budget. He was yeah. able to just use Saddam's cash to pay for. That's Loretta's. a good point, actually. That's a good point. If he's controlling some type of like military budget or whatever, he could just use some sort of confiscated cash instead of actually using his government authorized budget. So that actually makes a little bit of sense. Uh, that's that's really smart. Taking some little under the table type of thing. Um, all right. So what, yeah. where do where do we want to go from here? So we talked about the Beretta deal. We we do the obviously the big deal is that they. Uh, they get involved in this giant government contract with uh, where they actually underbid by maybe $50 million or something like that. Is there anything you guys thought was interesting or <coughs> noteworthy about that? Or what, what do y'all want to talk about in terms of the, their undoing, so to speak? Uh, I, I think that goes to a lot of what you were saying earlier about <laughs> whether or not we think Jonah Hill is intelligent and then also how these people that may or may not be intelligent end up in these situations where they're <laughs> over their over their head because this is yeah. like their third deal and it, it also points to Jonah Hill's like um what what did you say bullish <laughs> bullish mentality of winning at all cost and like not leaving a penny on the table because he like freaks out about it, even though they've just made thirty million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, so. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I, you're right, Riley. It seems like it was like the also like the beginning of the end of like maybe their relationship, and it kind of that's when Jonah Hill's character 
I don't want to say like went kind of went downhill, but I think he was kind of like, all right, this is back to a me operation. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, this, it's a weird thing because it's actually sort of the main plot, line, not the main plot line, but sort of the climax of the film, but in some ways it's the least interesting <laughs> because we sort of like, I, I feel like their buildup is more interesting than their actual downfall. Um, I mean, I like the storyline. It was sort of there. There it is. Like it, it was them just sort of solving the problem of, oh, we signed a contract. Let's get it through. I didn't think it was some sort of like I thought it was way more dangerous and way more interesting that they were willing to drive through the triangle of death or whatever to deliver the Berettas. Then it was more interesting than them being like, oh, let's just repackage these bullets to deliver them sort of thing. That was their big conflict for that big deal right like it wasn't sort of like a very interesting downfall it was just sort of like <coughs> the deal was bigger but the conflict was smaller does that make sense um sure it was, it was well, a little bit all they had to do was repackage that for like a hundred grand versus driving yeah. across like the state the yeah equivalent of the state of texas but just as armed as texas and they were and they and they saved money doing it, so it was almost like, oh, we we got a problem and a solution that actually helped us out. The only problem yeah. was that Jonah Hill wouldn't pay the guy, and that's ultimately what happened. Is that this guy, the guy, the guy who was in charge of reboxing everything, never got paid his hundred grand, and he wound up, which I thought was kind of interesting. He called the Pentagon directly, and that was their undoing. <laughs> I mean, like, which sounds almost silly, like some Albanian guy calling from his small apartment being like, hello, the Pentagon, uh, I need to report a crime. <laughs> like, I wonder how yeah. seriously they took it or how, like, how much he had to call, how many times he had to call to the point where they finally were like, oh, we'll look into this. I mean, that seems like such a silly thing to do that, like, <laughs> I-, I wonder... How do you how do you call the Pentagon, and then how do you get them to take you seriously at the same time? It's sort of a weird weird thing. I almost feel like it was just like one of those movie things, like oh, you forgot the smallest man, and he wound up taking it down. <laughs> you know, like I wonder if that was one hundred percent real or not. I, I I would like to think the FBI was already investigating them, rather than some Albanian boxer was uh, bringing them down. Well, yeah, I mean, probably raised a red flag when they came underbidding. You know. 35 or however much million it was yeah two 20 year old underbidding the government uh, underbidding major corporations by 30 million dollars they probably had to launch an investigation into that even though they're willing to go along with it you're probably absolutely right with that okay um all right so we're gonna move on to the wheel uh (laughs) yeah i I have been struggling what what do y'all think a good name for the wheel is Uh, i'd sort of call it the wheel of categories but we can obviously come up with something different I mean, that's not original, it's not funny, it's not interesting, but for right now, we're going to call it the Wheel of Categories. That's just sort of like the uh, working title for it. So, the categories we have tonight are, number one, Chekhov's Massage, interesting. Number two, The Rents. Number three, Step on the Scale. Number <laughs> Step four, on the Scale. <laughs> Yeah, okay, that was funny because we did talk about Jerry Stiller and heavyweights. All right, number four, Triangle of Death. Number five, God of War Dogs. A little play on words there. Number six, Crossover Time. Number seven, To Friend or Not to Friend. Number eight, obviously, The Whammy, which is so funny and interesting. Number nine, Hilarious. <laughs> Would You? <laughs> and number 10, 
why retirement homes? I think we kind of got to that a little bit. Was, uh, that was just something I was desperate to come up with a tip category. All right, so Preston, you went second with the uh, marquee pick, so you're going to be the first on the wheel, so get excited. Uh, shit. Preston, number one on the wheel. Got to be shedding me. Uh, the wheel just woke up the dog. Oh, number four, triangle of death. Something we actually kind of covered a little bit, but this will be a new angle to it. So, triangle of death. David and Ephraim hop onto into an old beat-up truck with a suspicious driver in an attempt to smuggle $3 million worth of guns across the triangle of death into Iraq. How much money would it have taken you to get into that truck? Damn. Knowing what... <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, I mean, they don't know exactly that's called the Triangle of Death. That's part of like the comedy of it. But knowing what we know now, how much would it take you to ride across the Triangle of Death for 24 hours? Whatever. It was like uh, 16 hours, 8 hours, whatever. Yeah, it was how, a while. How, how much cash would it take you to get it? Let's go across that. With that driver. And during and those, like the war in Iraq? Yeah, obviously not now, Preston. Not during the <laughs> uh, I mean, a shit, okay, quite a bit. I would quite have to, it'd have to be like hundreds of millions, if not hundreds like a billion. of millions. That's how much you value your life? <laughs> no, dude. I, 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 first off, Matthew, you were ready to say that. No. I, yeah. <laughs> I was not he was like, I, I could have been like, I could have been like 10 billion. And you would have been like, why not 11? <laughs> no, I was saying that in the low No, no the opposite. I, the I would opposite. do it for like, I would do it for like 100 grand. <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's I don't know, 80, man. It, it, it's it's like, only 800 miles. It's 800 miles. It takes a little bit of time. I mean, it's like, how much are you willing to risk for eight hours? Well, I will say as the avid traveler that I am, <laughs> I've definitely been on uh, some pretty sketchy bus rides across country lines. But, you know, never thought I was going to die. I, I don't know. I guess, like, you're you're setting it up as, like, I know the risks and I know that there's a chance I could die. Probably, I don't know, let's say 50-50, like they say in the movie. Well, they say in the movie, yeah. Yeah, so I, 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 don't, I mean, also it depends on my financial situation at the time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, today, it's today. Depends how desperate you, you are. You have to go tomorrow. Uh, I'm not going. <laughs> you got to pay that. For, ten, for 10 million. 10 million? I mean, I got a lot of people I'd have to, like, they'd have to sign off with me. You know, like, like, I mean, is Poby going to be cool with this? Probably not. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, yeah. He'll eat better dog food. <laughs> that's so true. I don't know. That's hard. That's hard. I yeah. I mean, it's a difficult question. It's basically seeing how much you value your own life. And again, all of us have different self-esteem issues. For, so, for, uh, for, for <laughs> negative, for negative $500, I uh, believe you and I drove from a similar country uh slovenia to croatia and i think the reason you don't really realize uh how dangerous it was because you were asleep the whole entire drive but it was that is that is the scariest experience of my life (laughs) for those those who don't know it was essentially uh the trains were broken and we had to take a cab like five hours across country lines from Slovenia to Croatia, I believe. 
a five hour trip that should have taken seven and a half, but because we were doing one thirty and you were sleeping, it wasn't scary for you. Damn. Preston, yeah. how could you sleep during such like a life changing event? I don't know. Honestly, it was probably the food at the train station because I think we ate brain. It was like a heavy curry. Um, all right, so real quick. Oh, sorry, shit, I gotta edit that. All right, Rod. I have something I want you to edit too. Just let. Okay, well, at the end. I'll tell you later. Okay, so uh, Rod, this is your turn. Okay, the, number the, four has been taken. What? What were you saying? Well, because we're editing it out anyway, and I've got a marker. Um, the uh, the runkle is most important than yeah. the Rob than the Roberts, but yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, and well, I, hate got, I, I hate to be a douche about it. It's just I've got the, a vote. I've got every single time we've got okay. Robert or Runkle. I'll stop right. Now. I'm going to stop okay. saying it right now. But okay, all right, Rod, your turn. We just did Preston number four. He values his life quite highly, which admirable, but also hey, guess what? I would have done that for a lot less cash. Here we go, Rod. The wheel is spinning. Ooh, 10. Robert, that is retirement Is that a whammy? Home? No, that's retirement homes, question mark. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> this is something that I was just sort of, I thought was not funny, but interesting. Uh, not funny, but curious. What was the angle with selling sheets just to re- retirement homes? Why not uh, hotels, furnished apartments, retailers, et cetera? What was I missing with his sales pitch there, Robert? I mean, God uh, damn it, Rod. <laughs> Again, <laughs> just, spin, just spin the wheel again. Why? Well, I mean, I'll do ten, but okay. All right, spin that, the wheel. That, that'll that'll be easier. Yeah, that'll be easier. All right, spinning the wheel again. The wheel just What's keeps it gonna on be? feeling. Oh, it's retirement homes number ten. Rod, probably the most, actually the least interesting question on the board, but retirement <laughs> homes question mark. Uh. <laughs> I was struggling to come up with sort of questions for this. All right. So uh, during his uh, time there, before he gets into arms dealing, David's trying to sell bed sheets to retirement homes. Why specifically target retirement homes? Why not hotels, furnished apartments, retailers, et cetera? Using your business expertise, what what do you think his angle was just with retirement homes? Um, As I would have thought you may have said, that you know like did you miss anything no you did not <laughs> you didn't miss anything i'm still wondering where the angle was to spend what 63 65,000 on that bed how sheets much was? oh i think he just said his life savings i didn't know he said an exact figure uh i mean it was definitely a I lot think of money. later later on in the movie they're like can't you just sell it back to him and he's like no that's not how it works but <laughs> Um, I didn't understand why he was giving massages for $75 to the older men. And I don't <laughs> understand. Uh, maybe that's what, maybe because he was giving massages to older men, he thought that, you know, he had a little bit of a Freudian <laughs> slip here, but worst business idea I've ever heard. Wouldn't pass, pass me on Shark Tank. I don't think anyone would. I mean, no, I don't think any, I'm, I'm surprised his hot girlfriend <laughs> willing to invest in that or go along with it it's like let's just let's let's take our life savings and let's buy some egyptian cotton and sell it to specifically retirement homes was such a weird weird concept i I, I still don't understand what he was thinking i don't understand what he was thinking because if i had that many pillows or 
bed linens. (laughs) And that girl was my girlfriend. I would literally dump every single box out in whatever spot I had, and I would live there eternally. Um, We didn't bring that up in this episode, but the... It's coming up. It's coming up. We got a question. She is... Oh, okay. I mean... I'll pause, but she is just beautiful. Absolutely smoked. She's probably uh, one of the hottest girls we've... uh, covered so far in this podcast series i think so would you unfortunately she's taken i've learned last night oh god and guess about who i don't know someone who can uh, someone who can cook crostinis and cuban food i imagine i saw it earlier <laughs> it, it, it's, we got no we, we had no chance but we really got no chance now um, who was no. um ben affleck what no it's not no yeah Oh fuck! No, it's not. Well, he he sort of uses and abuses girls, so maybe we can get like they met on the side of dark water. Uh, trust me, Preston. I did a lot of research. Ross, is he still uh, is he I still like prepared all the time? I said Rod came prepared for this episode. Not only like he read the Rolling Stone article and also investigated this girl's relationship status, but no, I think he's actually supposed to be sober. Oh, yes, he is sober. He had a slip-up in 2019, and uh, it was just a video of him stumbling down the street. Oh, yeah, I saw that. There's so many, like, pictures of him, though, that, like, he's he's definitely a chain smoker, where he just looks so frustrated and, like, wanting to just end life kind of thing. It's, like, sort of like this very, very weird thing where he looks like he's getting so much relief from smoking a cigarette. I don't know if you guys have seen some of these paparazzi pictures or whatever, but it's just like, <gasps> like it looks like he's inhaling life from his like cigarette because he's just so happy to be taking a drag. All right. Uh, so we, we've covered that a little bit. We're going to, this is Preston's turn. We're spinning the wheel one more time. We're going to do a couple more spins. We're running a little bit short on time. We've got to uh, not only spin the wheel, but we've got to spin the wheel for our next pick. Ooh, three. Step on the scale. This is actually uh, what we were just talking about. So step on the scale. This is about the actress that we were just talking about. So obviously she's incredibly hot and super, super attractive. So we're not rating her looks here, but give her character a rating is the character David's girlfriend, Preston. Give her character a rating. I thought she was a little bit weak as a character, but obviously, like we said, she's incredibly, incredibly attractive. So uh, don't let that play into it. Don't let that be a bias. What What did you think about her character in terms of how she was willing to deal with his lies, but also not willing to deal with his lies? Did you think she needed more depth um, there? What did you think? I mean, always more depth. I mean, if you've seen um, this actress, I mean, she is a good actress. I don't, you know, you would think in this this situation with what her husband was doing, there was probably a lot more to that relationship that we don't ever get a chance to, yeah, even even like you know understand. Um, so I mean, I would think with with uh, with, and they tried to highlight this, but apparently they were really uh, anti-war. Yeah, and it's just like a little point that never gets really fleshed out. It never gets fleshed out. They mention it, and it seems like I mean, like. It makes it seem like she is a uh, activist out there protesting against the war, and now he's, you know, going to start running guns with the <laughs> U.S. government. So, like, uh, I mean, I can understand if if that's how she really was, and how, how I guess he was before. Uh-huh. I can understand the strain in that relationship was probably 
pretty, you know, pretty intense. And then I, you know, you can see why he might lie and you can see why she would be really fucking pissed. Yeah, she was kind of supposed to be a little moral compass, but at the same time, it just seemed like she was almost a convenient moral compass rather than an actual person, if that makes sense. It's almost she was there existing just to sort of, you know, build his character rather than be a character on her own. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, like, she wasn't actually a real character. She was just someone who was supposed to kind of balance him out and build his character. And I thought I thought it was just a weak development. It's not her fault. It's the writers and directors' yeah. fault. Well, it's and again, her. yeah, I, th- I think it. I mean, this this movie, it's just the two of them essentially. Yeah. I mean, everyone else is. I mean, maybe Bradley Cooper a little bit, um, but even him. I mean, he's very secondary. <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's very it's very centrally focused on the two guys, and I understand right. how it was going. I just thought like. She could have had a little bit more agency in this. Rod, what what do you think about her character? Um, I'm trying to think of that word. Um, Felt, I mean, I I think you're exactly right with what you said about the. uh, What did you say, Matthew? Moral compass, but yeah, like she sort of exists as uh, Miles Teller, David's moral compass, a little bit. But like I said, it's almost like she exists to be. His moral compass. She doesn't exist to actually be a character in the movie. She just is sort of a tool to get him thinking, kind of thing. She doesn't. Ex- she doesn't have too right. much depth, too much body in terms of what she actually yeah. believes. Uh, I was trying to think of the word of like what you call like an append- appendix. Like <laughs> th- I, she's almost like that in the movie. Like you don't need it. What do you like? Is it? You're talking you about an appendage or appendix. Appendix, as in like she's unnecessary, but you can actually like sort of feel the pain when yeah, she oh, that gotcha. sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. she doesn't exactly need to be there, but she's sort of you can like feel her presence kind of thing. And that's probably a really good analogy in the sense that she's not necessary in a way, but she's sort of just kind of there. And you sort of like, uh, yeah, it's I thought she could have been a stronger character. I thought there was ways to make her a little bit more necessary, ways to make her just, <clears throat> you know, it, Make make Miles Teller's character think a little bit more, make him feel a little bit more, make him sort of emotionally challenged a little bit more. But yeah, en- enough about her. We're gonna move on. We got. I think we'll do two more spins here, and then we'll get yeah. into our ratings. Two more spins. This will be. Uh, we just, we just went, was it? This is uh, Mr. Budman. This is Budman's Budman's spin. Ooh, nine. Would oh, you, niner. Would you? <laughs> Oh, hold on, let me let me pull up the would you. All right, so would you? All right, um, Rob, this is actually uh, specifically targeted for you, but this is talking about how incredibly attractive the character is. Is but so so the question is, knowing what you know now, would you go into business with Ephraim and do all these illegal arms deals if it meant that you could have? a long-lasting relationship with yes. this girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. That's very I, simple. I, I would drive across <laughs> Iraq, North, North, North Korea, I'd drive through Chernobyl for two days if you wanted me to make a lap. Um, eat some of the grass in Chernobyl? I would, I would yes, yes. Drink yeah. the water. So, yes. I mean, so, so this girl, I mean, uh, Miles, Miles Teller, uh, David's character, gets to impregnate this woman and gets to have a long-lasting relationship with her. I mean, like, it's 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 a little bit unfair. Like, he gets to do whatever he wants. Uh, she is so, so attractive. I, 
uh, she's just uh, maybe she's just my type or whatever, but she's incredible. I I I couldn't get enough of her being on screen. I agree with Rod. I, I would probably do unfathomable things if, if it guaranteed. <laughs> if it guaranteed, I could have sort of like this connected relationship with her in terms of like, all right, she's gonna have my baby, even if she hates me. We're always connected, sort of thing. Absolutely. Which really, really, really quick, because I know we're short on time. But what about the scene where she uh, tells Miles Teller's character about being pregnant? Do you remember how <laughs> what she says? She's she like, says, "Do you girl. remember the car ride home? Do you remember? Oh, what, yeah, yeah, will yeah, this? Yeah. It's like a car ride home. Like how? How did that happen? Who was who was driving? Yeah, exactly. Maybe they they had to pull over. Or something, you know? It was so horny. Okay. They had to pull, they had to pull I I mean, no, I mean, something something clearly happened. You're obviously right, Rod. Like, she definitely is a little, a little, uh, what do you want to say? A, uh, a minx? Is that the right term? A minx? Am I saying that right? A minx? She, she's a minx. <laughs> <or cat. laughs> a little minx. Uh, Rod, did you happen to, uh, we were trying to figure this out after we watched it, but are they still together, like the real life characters? Are the people, real life people? Did you happen to find that? I'll, I haven't read the memoir yet. Probably. I don't know. I could see. I, I found. I could see like, there being a divorce, but I could also see them sticking through it. They weren't actually even married. They were just sort of like boyfriend girlfriend that had a kid. Um, oh. But the I thing is, that. Uh, the thing is that uh, I found real pictures of the two guys. Obviously, they were publicized, but I never yeah. found a real picture of her because I was super curious of. You know, if she was as attractive as the real the, the girl portraying her, like the Typically, girl, these things, that's not how it works. Out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the girl in real life must be super flattered to think that this this the, the woman, oh, what's her name, Anna Diana, or so whatever, was portraying her because she might. Everyone thinks that she's incredibly fucking hot. Okay, um, that was a great answer, great question. All right, we're gonna do great one more. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back, Matthew. Preston, we're gonna edit that out. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You should have uh, been like, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's a great question. Okay, uh, Preston, we're gonna spin the wheel one more time. We got so many good topics here, but we just don't have time. The wheel is spinning. Preston's looking in an anticipation. He wants the wheel is spinning. Certain one. Oh, it's five. Ooh. Five. Actually, I'm gonna go with uh, six. Whoa. I'm gonna go because we already kind of talked about it because it, it deals with God of War and we kind of talked about it. So okay, we're going to go with okay. six. We're going to go with six. It's called Crossover. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Lord of War. Lord of War uh, Dogs. <laughs> Lord of War Dogs. Crossover time. So this is dealing with all our recurring listeners. So this is dealing with last week's episode. Shannon Wisnat from last the, our last episode who was in uh, Finders Keepers said that he had the best business mind in town. How do you think he would have fared selling massive amounts of weapons in this <laughs> business? Do you think he would have been a wheeler dealer? Do you think he would have driven across the uh, <laughs> the triangle of death? How do you think he would have dealt with all this stuff? Um, you know, I don't. I think he. I don't think he would go across the wheel or the tri- through the triangle of death without a like, camera crew. <laughs> and as far as him like selling guns and, <laughs> I, you know. 
That's a that's a great question. He's a one he's a one gun at a time at the uh, the flea market kind of guy. I don't exactly. Know, I don't know if he's dealing in mass quantities. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine, and uh, I I think it would be way above his uh, pay grade or a little way over his head. But you know, I mean, he's also very or was very determined and. I mean, if he can sell a, a Beretta like he sells Antique Air, then I think he <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, this is how this gun shot in 1937. Rod, do you think he would have sold wholesale, or do you think he was more of a single gun at a time type of person? I think he would be lucky to get a single gun off his hands. <laughs> I think his his uh, like his ta- or his catchphrase for everybody would be like, you ever played Goldeneye? <laughs> 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 I, I, I'm odd job. Yeah, yeah. I almost included that, but that was game. Uh, that was uh, video games. I almost included like uh, what, what, like uh, Goldeneye, like James Bond and the uh, the Golden Gun or something like that as my marquee pick. But that's a little off topic. Ooh, All right, that's so, good. So uh, we did this. We got so many great topics. I actually wanted to get to, but we are running a little bit short on time. So we're going to get into our ratings, and then we're going to spin the wheel to see what our next pick is. Uh, Rod Preston, who wants to go first in terms of rating for War Dogs? Since it was Rod's movie, we'll let Rod go first. Rod, you're rating for War Dogs. I give the score an 88. I give the War Dogs film a rating of 77. Okay. It was your pick, and you're giving the C. <laughs> so, wait, we're giving uh, the soundtrack a rating? That, that, was just a, that was just a bonus track for Rod. So that's going to be included in our Patreon. I'm the score guy, Matt. You're not even using the correct terminology. <laughs> that's, that's not the score. That is the sound. The score no, it's called is... the score. We'll talk Dude, about this later. Best score in the Academy Awards includes the soundtrack. It's all music played throughout the movie. Okay. Okay. Um, we can actually have a whole episode where we debate score versus soundtrack, but we're going to get to the ratings here first. Preston, sure. <laughs> Preston, go with your War Dogs rating. You can rate the score if you want to, but it's not going to be posted on Instagram. Go ahead. No, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a, a, a like a 79. Well, okay, so you're trumping Rod a little bit. I'm actually going to trump both of you guys. I like this movie. I thought it was funny. I know it like didn't. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I can't get too deep into it in terms of what I really think about it. But I actually thought it was. It's. It. I just judge things on if they're entertaining and if they keep me focused because I think that's what everyone this day and age needs is like. Can something grasp your attention while so many other things are available to grasp your attention? Right. Like, did yeah. it make you grab your phone? Did it make you want to look at your laptop? Did it make you want to do this or that? I was pretty focused on this movie. I liked it a lot. I'm getting 86, um, a solid B, nudging into the B plus range. 86 uh, <clears throat> for Matthew. Okay, so we've got to wrap it all up. We just wrapped up War Dogs. We wrapped up our picks. We wrapped up everything. We've got to pick next in terms of our films. We've got what's gonna, the next one? We're gonna spin the wheel. Uh, number one, uh, we've got The Gift. Number two, we've got Anna. Number three, we've got Bad Boys. Number four, we got Good Boys. It's funny how they were on top of each other. Wait, who put Bad Boys in there? I put Bad Boys in there. I didn't know uh, that. Oh, 
I, I discussed that with you. Pretty quick question. Uh, bad Boys, Good Boys, number five, Waterworld, number six, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, number seven. What? Yeah, I changed, I've changed. i changed a lot of stuff, guys. Number seven, Us. <laughs> number eight, Leon the Professional. Number nine, Bright. And number 10 is what we all agreed on. It's called uh, Three Billboards of, what's it called? Madison County or something like that? Ebbing, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> all right. What was it? Ebbing, Missouri, right? I'd like to change number three to what? Operation Odessa. No, what was your, what was your three? Anna? Anna. You want to change Anna to I've already, Operation I've Odessa? I've seen Anna seven times in the last month. No. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. Operation Odessa, last minute right in for Robert. I mean, Preston was correct on the score. Okay. All right. Thank number, you. Uh, number two is now Operation Odessa <laughs> for anyone who is still listening. Make sure to leave that in the recording. <laughs> If you want to hear Anna instead of Operation Odessa, please write in and we will do that. It actually is number two. So it is Operation Odessa now. Rod, you are on fire with the wheel. Wow. The wheel the wheel is in love with Rod. I don't know if Rod has rigged the I've wheel. I've gotten any. I know. The Rod, Rod has rigged the wheel. I got Lethal Weapon, but then we spun it again and we went to a Rod pick with War Dogs. Rod has literally won the wheel oh. every single time. This is getting a little absurd. Maybe we need to talk to the wheel, maybe beat it a little bit. <laughs> you, uh, no, you need to go bury it under the ground. <laughs> Dude, it's like the sorting hat. I think the sorting wheel heard me say Operation Odessa. Because, I mean, you'd started spinning this the wheel. Is true. This is true, Robert. This has been his strategy okay. the whole From time. From now on, no speaking. <laughs> will spin. He's just no, gonna, I'm, yeah, he's gonna change it at the last second. I'm actually go like, no, he like he literally called his shot. He said, "No, Anna, let's do Operation Odessa," and then it went to Operation Odessa. Amazing call by Rod Budman. He's he didn't I even mean, need the wheel. I know, but he's a bit of a roulette gambler. I mean, he's a high stakes, no limit Texas Hold'em champion. He knows about roulette. He knows about all those gambling games. He knows about the wheel. It's no surprise that it's favoring him a little bit, but I think I'm going to whisper some sweet nothings in the wheel of the night to get it favoring me a little think, bit more. I don't think that wheel <laughs> regulation size. You need to check. <laughs> I will say it has been out of our view the entire recording. So, well, I did. <laughs> yeah. What, Is that want? what you want to see, Matthew? Rod, do you want to see it? No, I, no, no, no. Because no. it's falling. Like, do you think if it was, if I was being dishonest, it would be my picks. I'd be like, oh, it's bad boys. <laughs> you know, like instead, of, no, it's uh, operation. Do you, do you think I'm actually like favoring you, or like the wheel is favoring you? I'm trying. No, so no. I'm just playing like no. Jonah Hill, kind of. I'm trying. To... Okay. Oh yeah. So you're. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good impression. Okay, so uh, let's let's just wrap it up. Uh, any last words? Any any final thoughts on what the ending music should be? Uh, the, like like Rod said, the score or soundtrack is pretty amazing. I might do uh, <laughs> I might do "Baby I Miss You." I do have that track downloaded. Do you want to do "Baby I Miss You" for the end? For the for the people about after the podcast? Yeah, yeah. The ending track. It's gonna fade out to "Baby I Miss You." It's gonna be a Rod Budman and uh, <laughs> I. I could send you an instrumental version of that or tears. Uh, no, we're gonna do "Baby, I Miss You" with I Budman and I Lou. So just to give I Lou some uh um some good promo, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Preston, you got anything to say? And Rod, you got anything to say to end this out? This has been a a great ending. 
even though we had some technical difficulties midway through. Yeah, no, I'm good. Really, uh, really great time, fellas. Uh, Preston has nothing to say. Rod, you want to, you want to, you want to trail us out here? <laughs> um, just keep on budding. Keep on budding. It's it's the soundtrack to our lives. All right, everyone. <laughs> It's the Rabbi Donnie Tolson's name, aka Kanye West. And this song goes out to my one true love, the good, good God. To my boy, Rabbi Toast. Boy, I miss blowing O's of that Afghani thunder. Fuck with you, man. Time and time again, it's like I'm locked on the couch. Nug sticky than a beehive. You know where to get that crown college lodge flow five. Baby, I miss you. I miss you so bad. Sweet baby sativa. I wish I still had. 
Baby, I miss you. Oh, I miss you so bad. Sweet sativa. Oh, I wish I still had. We used to smoke bloods on the porch like it was our only house. Didn't give a fuck about the rules, just thought it was only us. When your boy got popped, it was like the motherfucking world turned upside down. Yeah, yeah, I remember that shit. Right after we got popped, man, the pigs was all on my nuts. Sweating me, chasing me, begging me to get in the cars. And I was like, man, fuck off. Who you think you fucking with? I'm a fucking boss. Never would I snitch, never would I get pinched Then I slip, some motherfucker wore wire on me Then I went to jail for a little bit But that was nothing, I got three lawyers, they beat the case Now all I got is probation And I never said a word, man, fuck the pigs, stop snitching Fuck them bitches, wearing wires, telling all people, man Stop snitching. Hey, Zayder. Yeah. Joe Toast. I remember how big of a joke it was. Slinging butt all over the peninsula. Everybody wanting sticky trees. Man, please. Yeah, I kept that straight crunch of vibrations. Keep you high for hours. I love the puff sour. Man, it feels so good. I miss you so bad Sweet baby sativa I wish I still had Baby I miss you Oh I miss you so bad Sweet sativa Oh I wish I still had Baby I miss you I miss you so bad Sweet baby sativa I wish I still had Baby I miss you Oh I miss you so bad Sweet sativa Oh I wish I still had